everyone, this is Veronica with Horsemanship Unlocked, an equine education and entertainment company with the motto that the horse already possesses all the natural skills and behaviors we so desire. Through the study of applied learning theory and relationship building, we can unlock the horse's highest potential. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the equine entertainment industry, explain training methodology, share experiences in horsemanship, and much more. And don't forget to check out our website, Facebook, and Instagram for the latest and greatest news, updates, online lectures, and clinic and performance schedules. See you there! Recording. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So for this week, it's just me this week. And I did that on purpose. I have interviews lined up for us for future weeks. But I also want to incorporate some questions that some of my clients might have that I think could probably help any listener with a horse um, tuning in. But I also want to talk about research. Okay. So uh, you guys know I am a trainer. But I don't, I want everybody to know that what I'm doing and, and the podcast that I'm making now and the videos I'm making now are because I want to help share information. I'm not trying to preach a certain philosophy. So growing up, I, you know, I did the regular writing thing. Sorry, I'm thinking as I'm speaking at the same time, it's kind of easier for me to come unscripted. So let's get into some background and I will explain that I'm here to present research. So, I, and, and it would be a good background um, to get into these podcasts so I can help share some of my stories and, and tell you guys how some of the stuff that, I'm, that I've researched and the, the um, journal articles that I found and, and how I've found my success with horse training applies and I'll use examples of my horses because you know they're the easiest ones to talk about because I'm with them all the time and now they're my co-workers um, but a lot of times I'll talk about some client horses as well with their permission or with some questions they may have but to start off with I was raised in a traditional riding facility. It was in the suburbs. So its main focus was just to be a business. And so they had lessons running, you know, in the evenings and on the weekends, every half an hour, not even every hour, every half an hour. Um, and it was a great place to start. I, there was a sense of community there. It was close to my house. Um, but growing out of that facility, there was I was satisfied until I met my match and then I was not satisfied. So just the get on and go method, you know, works for some. It did not work for me. I needed more. I needed to know not just how I was doing things, but why, why was I doing this? Because finally, when I met my lease horse, uh, he had, he had a lot of fear. He had a lot of anxiety. He had a lot of thresholds and my get on and go method that was my go-to because that's how I learned was not working anymore and things were getting hard and things were frustrated and there you know of course were good days but there were a lot of bad days and that's not why I began riding I didn't want to start riding because of having anxious bad days with a horse and then I would feel bad if he felt bad and we would just get into a miscommunication all the time 
So I actually leased this horse in college after my first horse had passed. And so the, the horse was very different. I mean, I, I grew up riding like, you know, five horses a day to work off my board and at a sale barn. So they were getting horses in and getting horses out. But I got used to my horse and that's who I bonded with. And that's when I really began to trust the idea of having a relationship with your horse and not just get on and go. So my horse lived for six years. He was older than me. He was a hand-me-down, but he was awesome. He was a hot little brave thoroughbred. Um, and this horse that I began to bond with, we it was completely different. Um, and so I want to also mention that a lot of these podcasts that I want to get into and videos are to help share research, but they're not meant to be lessons. That would be difficult to do because I really would have to be with you and your horse because everyone's an individual. We're individuals. The horses are individuals. So that's my disclaimer. But I, I think if you're tuning in you're, and you've heard the interviews, you're kind of getting at that. So these are just conversations that can help your knowledge and widen your perspective um, for when you go to work with your horse or call me to set up a lesson. But anyways, the get on and go method wasn't working for me. And so I started to work with a trainer in college to understand horse psychology a little more. And it was awesome. And it opened a lot of doors for me. And then I did my bachelor's degree, not because of this at the same time as this, I did my bachelor's degree in biology because I like science. So I really had the mindset drilled into me to test things, to have a hypothesis, to test it, to that you're not creating your your data and you're not creating your test to try to support your hypothesis, you are testing your hypothesis and you'll either support it or you don't. And if you have new information that does not support your hypothesis, then you're going to have to conduct a new one based on the information. I think we're in the horse world and <laughs> the world kind of these days, we're so into finding the information to support our claim because it's our claim and it's correct no matter what. And I want to thank my education for not being this way because that's not how it works in science. You, it, it has to, and it has to be measurable so that anyone can go back and look at the methodology in the, in the study, conduct the same experiment and hopefully get the same results if it's conducted the same. And if it's under peer review and that's not the case, well then researchers got to go back and, and try to find the fluke and test again and, do a different type of test or change the support. I, you know, it's just critical thinking with trying to get measurement so we know we're, it's discovery. It's not filling in the blank to make me the smart person or appear the smart as the smart person. It is purely discovery out of curiosity, trying to create the least bit of bias as possible. So minoring also in psychology, starting to get into equine psychology and seeing the results in front of me with the training is exactly why I got into what I got into. And going into graduate school, I studied theater studies. However, I was at Illinois State University, so they have a circus. This was after I took like five years off between grad school and undergrad, and I actually still performed while I was in grad school. 
Um, but in those five years I performed, so I, I started working in the circus. So when I went back to grad school, I did theater studies, but my thesis was about um, ethics in the circus with horses and a lot about the theme and how we can dress up one show in glitter and circus attire and we can dress up another circus show but in these earthy elements and the audience has a different perspective based on the theme of the show even though they're looking at the same thing so anyways you could read it it gets it gets a lot into that but i my thesis was interdisciplinary so i did veterinary studies and got journal articles as much as I could possibly print off because I was a student. So I had access to the database of all these awesome academic research journal articles and these pieces. This is like gold of information that is not just open to the public. And a lot of it is tough to read and graduate school was is tough. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of writing. But I love it because I want to fill my crave for knowledge, but you don't see this kind of stuff when you're going to take a writing lesson. They just tell you what to do and you just trust it and go. Or something maybe doesn't feel right in the back of your head and you still go with it anyways. Or the research is telling you one thing and you're doing something different based on emotions or instincts and that's not actually how it's done or the message that's getting through to the horse anyways I just want to make the research available for my listeners for my friends for my clients um, and help you guys in ways that it helped me so when I was in grad school and I was writing my thesis I got my hands on all these articles from vets and and animal behaviorists and psychologists and it was it was awesome because every all the claims in the information was backed. It was backed by empirical data. It was peer reviewed. And you can read through and read exactly how they got those results. I mean, to the point of heart rates, heart, heart rate monitors on horses um, to measure heart rate, to measure cortisol levels. That's a hormone, uh, that kind of fear, cortisol. Um, and so this is why we want to look at the information and make sure we're, we're trusting our sources and the same goes for a horse too. And I want to say, especially your horse, because you can't talk to your horse. We do a lot of anthropomorphism. Uh, we say, oh, he thinks it's cute. Or when we were going through that ditch, he got scared and, oh, we can read that the horse is scared. And even on this podcast or these videos, we speak anthropomorphically and that's okay because sometimes that's how we communicate the point as long as we know that that's probably not accurate to what the horse is thinking. We might be able to read the horse's behavior, which in case you guys didn't know, I've mentioned this before, that they have more facial expressions than dogs. Um, so if we get good with our horses, we're, we're going to know. We're going to be able to read them and see if something's bothering them. If they're pawing out of anxiety or anger because or impatience, and you have to read the situation too. If my horse is on the cross ties 
and I'm scooping grain in front of him while he's getting impatient. Um, context clues. But the anthropomorphism I'm talking about is when you're training and, you know, a lot of people mistake health issues for behavior uh, because they're, they're reading the horse and then they're filling in the blank. And this is where the research I want to introduce to you guys is going to help fill in the blank. Like if you're doing a trick and your horse is bucking, I've heard it go, oh, the horse is messing with me. No, <laughs> we can, how can we assume that? The horse has no idea why the, the concept of money, the concept of performing or working, he has no idea why this, you know, almost primate of an animal, human, you know, is doing the things it's doing on its back, but hey, he's not getting hurt, so he just goes along with it, and that's, I mean, that's one, one reason why horses are just so amazing, um, but we cannot assume that they have this higher thinking, you know, if he's messing with you, quote-unquote, messing with you, or, or he's misbehaving, or his behavior is not what you would like it to be, or it's, it's an ill-mannered behavior, during a certain trick, well, let's take the, that anthropomorphic assumption out, and maybe he's got a health issue, or maybe there's a certain spot in the arena that he's spooking at. I mean, we can use this research to actually get to the bottom line, and that will just be way more fair to your horse for you to get to the bottom line. I mean, sometimes we can be wrong because we're human, but if you're going to go that far to do the research, you're going to at least be getting better and you're going to at least be trying. And just like you ask your horse to try all the time, that's all that they can ask is that you try to understand them. So let's talk about some of all the stuff that I scooped out of that database, that library, because I knew my time was limited with it. Um, so I actually have stacks and stacks of things that I printed because I knew that as soon as I was out of graduate school, I wasn't going to have access to this stuff again. Um, so let me share with you guys something I want to talk about today, which is one of the more basic um, elements we can get into. And I don't want to say basic, but more of the foundational things. I like to try to think of understanding the horse in a stepwise function. So before I can read their behaviors. You know, I cannot address their behaviors with a certain method if I can't read their behaviors. And I can't read their behaviors if I don't know how they think and operate. So let's talk about that today. Let's talk about the way horses think. So <laughs> I know I kind of gave you a little bit of a background, but I want to tell you that after reading my horses and doing this research, my horses all think differently, but they have one thing in common that's pretty easy for everyone to understand is that they're prey animals. So the basis of their existence is to be a meal, sadly. But we can help them and they're super adaptable. And I think we have such a long history with horses in the way that we create relationships. Um, having a relationship with my horses is like having a relationship with other people. Uh, trust, communication. These are things that humans to humans have trouble with. And it, it takes a, you know, not 
two perfect people because perfect doesn't exist to create a perfect relationship it takes two individuals wanting to work on those things in order to make a relationship work same thing with your horse <laughs> okay i have to convince him to want to work with me and i need to repay the favor of trying to understand him and be and have he needs to trust me and i need to have good communication pretty much so every and we'll get into that that everything is a relationship and like i said in order to get there let's think about how they think okay so that's how they can work with us and we've been working with horses since 350 bc on actual um record who knows before that uh but <laughs> almost almost got a brain fart so we've been working with them for a long time oh and it's because they're adaptable and it's because we can understand how they're thinking and start to alter their behavior that's what we do with humans that's what we do with dogs you know a behavior analyst will analyze behavior and then the therapist will work you through those behaviors so when we talk about horse training we like to talk about being your horse's therapist i mentioned that in the first episode and what does the therapist have to do well they have to go to school they have to understand cognition they have to understand the brain ways the hormones everything and then we need to understand what to do with it so if you want to start horse training from now on you know in the sense in how i'm talking about it well then we got to go back to school here so Anyways, cognition. So the horse is a prey animal. They're meant to be a meal. So pretty much they are looking out for their lives, right? Fight or flight animals, most likely they will run. But if they're in a situation where they won't run, they will fight. Okay? If you are not a threat to the horse, he has no reason to run. It's quite simple. If you are too much with your energy, too heavy with your communication, too strict the horse will fear you the horse will flee if you are too heavy and the horse cannot flee the horse will fight but horses kind of remind me of cats they don't need you they're not here to please you like a dog okay because the horse is totally happy on its own if he's got food, water, socialization, he doesn't need you. So there's a, there's a nice fine line about having his interest and having his trust, okay? And especially when you start to ask the horse to work. Now, there's one term I want to get into before we even start, that there is a thing called learned hopelessness. So you stick a rat in a cage, it knows that eventually that it's never going to be able to escape. It just gets depressed and is almost like dead on the inside. Same with your horse. Okay. So if the horse is stuck in this routine where it's going in the stall, it's coming out, it's getting ridden heavily. It's going back in the stall. You know, horses have spirit, but you can quote unquote break their spirit. And then they're really behaved, but they almost look dead, dead in the eyes. It's awful. I see too many horses in it. Um, but that is a state of learned hopelessness. So when I want to study the horse's cognition, I still want my horse to be a horse. And it feels good to see my horses out in the pasture and playing. And because if we're gonna have a relationship, 
I want his part of the deal to work with me and do some awesome trick riding, do some trick riding for kids, be a safe horse to ride on and go on adventures. And, you know, they're nomadic by nature. So I believe that they enjoy getting out and more than the pasture, more than the stable. And I do too. <laughs> so if we can have that. I also have to hold up my end of the deal. At that point, it's a prisoner. If you are not allowing them to be horses and have their space, you know, he grants me my space. I can get away from my horse anytime I want. He's, you know, I'm self-sufficient. He's self-sufficient too. So if you're holding the horse back from being a horse, you're not really going to have a horse anymore. Sad, but true. Um, it's going to be harder to work through, not necessarily harder, but um, you'll get more challenges if you're constantly having to read behavior, just like in a relationship, you're constantly having to work through the dynamics and adjusting and shifting until it's what you want it to be. But, you know, you would be, it, think about how much of a monster a human would be if you just took a child, locked it in the closet, took it out whenever you wanted made it mop, you know, mop the floors and clean everything, and then you locked it back up. Um, just think about your horse that way. Okay, so, right, the relationship. I keep talking about the relationship because it's so important. I want to keep getting back to it, but it is important. So half of it's the relationship, the other half is understanding. So the horse, how it thinks. I want to present this to you before I keep going off a tangent. Horses think in pictures, okay? This is going to help you with that anthropomorphism because I ask my students, do you think your horse has an inner monologue? And some go, yeah, kind of, maybe. I said, no, they are nonverbal animals. You only hear the horses yelling for each other when they cannot see each other, okay? They're not really nickering at each other when they're in sight. When they cannot see each other, then they are verbal, but for the most part, they are non-verbal, okay? I'm going to give you a name here for you guys to look up, but Temple Grandin. Temple is in her 70s. Uh, she has autism, and she created the ethical means to slaughter cattle, okay? There's actually a movie. It's uh, made... It's a drama movie. It's called Temple Grandin. It came out in 2010. It's awesome. If you want to check that out. And she also has awesome TED Talks. And she has a website full of her research. It's called Grandin. I believe it's Grandin.com. Um, she is teaching right now at Colorado State University. I tried to check out her program, but going for a PhD and Working in slaughterhouses was just not for me, although I really support what she's doing. And the reason I went to her is because we don't have a lot of programs in this country for equine behavior. Other countries do. Australia is a little ahead in that department. Canada, Europe, they're a bit more ahead. But the United States tends to focus on nutrition, reproduction, and business. But we don't really talk about behavior, but her work 
with cattle applies to horses and she's also done research specifically on horses and the reason she got into the research is because of her autism now she thinks in pictures like a horse or a cow does so let's think about that she thinks in pictures when we pat walk past something scary we oh, we get frightened and then we think to ourselves no it's okay it's just this it's just this they don't have that inner monologue going Horses don't have higher functioning, higher reasoning. Um, they just, pictures flash, okay? So I also have a piece of information here on my blog. I wanna just, I wanna bring it up because I wanna give you the exact name that think of this as well. They are unable to think about the future or the past, horses I mean. Memories are triggered by some sort of environmental stimulus, like we were talking about with the applied learning. Um, stimulus response, right? Because what horses are doing is that they are learning behaviors in order to survive through their environment, okay? So if that environment is a stable, they're learning how to survive in that. If that environment is out in the wild, which was their first uh, you know, reason for being, uh, they're trying to learn behaviors in order to survive. So they are unable to develop abstract thoughts. That was a veterinary study um, from 2000. And they, this is why they create habits of continuous spooking. When we just talked about memories are triggered memories are triggered and the thoughts that they have are in pictures so stay with me they lack the ability to solve problems learning is only through trial and error and interestingly horses have excellent long-term memory that was by wolf and hosberger in 1996 and their short-term memory is very poor and that's a veterinary study by mclean in 2008 most trainers can say they witnessed at least one horse that possessed a learned fear from an incident long ago. That learned fear from their long-term memory tends to overshadow all that recent desensitizing and retraining. All of the discoveries of in equine cognition should be taken into consideration when formatting a training method. Okay, so let's think about that. <laughs> so I'm just going to give it to you from an easy way to think about this, I'm just going to give you a situation that I run into all the time. Fez, this awesome horse that I got on Craigslist has been my main man. He's a brick house. He's just super stoic. And he's been my main trick horse up until last year. And even last year, he he's the one I can throw other people on and do tricks on him. God, he's a workhorse. He's a rock star. Okay. He has been in the most, God, I, I want to say he's probably been in over a thousand performances at this point, at, definitely over 500, maybe getting close to a thousand, who knows, a lot. So he's run into a lot of things. He's seen baboons and, and lions and elephants and camels, and he's been to many states and many trailers and different venues. He works. He goes to work. We did a shrine date 
So we had a parade and there was like lights everywhere, cars doing wheelies, and he's just marching through. But he hates tarps. He hates tarps. He hates bags. I know how to desensitize a horse. Don't think that for the last seven years, he, we haven't worked through this. We work through this all the time because I'm trying to reduce stress from him. But it is always a reaction, a stressful um, explosion of a reaction, and then he works through it. So if we're looking at that research, that explains why. Because he must have an early memory of a bag or a tarp, and he thinks in pictures. He has excellent long-term memory, terrible short-term memory, and he has no higher thinking or processing. So some embedded memory that has helped him learn and move through his environment to avoid such things that have been, you know, to a horse, a survival skill and a threat to survival, that's what comes up in his memory first. And then floods in more pictures as we work through time. But, you know, he's a good dude. He's he can get over things, but that's what happens first. And that's okay. That, you know, that your horse isn't broken, but those first memories and those first behaviors and responses to stimulus and how to survive are the initial engraving process in a horse's memory. That doesn't mean he can't get over it. He, and here's a prime example. He really hates tarps. He lived in a tarp shed last year. <laughs> You know, you're on the road. Often our stalls have like the sunshade or the tarp. He's, he's okay. He's okay. And I've worked, I take the time and the effort to just work with him. But there's a prime example of how a horse thinks. Um, horses that get in the trailer, right? Horse trailers, and this is from a veterinary study. A horse trailer is 100 times. You have an incident on your 101st time. That horse is more likely to walk into that trailer again because he has a hundred good experiences that he's referring to as he's encountering things in his mind and using his memory on how to behave to that object or that stimulus or that or something causing him stress. But you take a horse and you put him on the trailer maybe the second or third time when you're still engraving those first scenarios right? Those first encounters where the horse is figuring out how to think through this. Then you have a trailer incident. You are more likely to have issues from there on forth. You can work through them, but it's going to take a lot more and you probably always have to work through a little something, at least in the beginning, every time you go on the trailer. And this is why we encounter so many things with our horses where we go, I, I hear it all the time with riders. He doesn't care about this, but he cares about this. It's so simple. I don't understand how he cares about this, but not this. Well, that's probably why, because of something in their memory from an early state that once they encounter that, that that's their thought process. They encounter something and they go, how should I respond to this? They don't have research. They, all they have are their experiences. Boom, 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 boom. Here come the pictures. 
Now the horse is spooked, reacted, snorted, got over it, walked away calmly. Might be a short-lived event, but that is the thought process. So if you guys want more information, I'm going to keep talking. I don't even know where we're at in time. I wish I could, I wish I could tell. Um, but if you want more information, please, please, please check out Temple Grandin's website. Check out the movie. Check out her TED Talk. Go to my blog. You can see more research. But I just wanted to give you guys something to think of. Um, this was brought up by a client of mine. I said, hey, what should I talk about this week? And I, that's why I want to also invite you guys to message me with questions that perhaps as we go through interviews and we start discussing more research um, and the cognition process and training, whatever, if you have a question, let me know. If it's, I feel like it's important or it sounds like a great topic that week, I'll, I'll do the research and I'll present it to you. I'll talk to you guys about it. Um, but anything else I can say about this? One of Temple's, this is, this is cool to think about. One of Temple's research papers on her website said, because horses think in pictures, a man on a horse, riding a horse, is a different picture than a man on the ground. So if a horse was abused by someone on the ground, it's likely that they will actually be okay being ridden. It's two different pictures. I've seen this happen. I've heard about that. So just, just think, next time you go walking with your horse and you see him shy at something or the ears go that direction, the attention's on something, just think about those pictures and think about, don't get tunnel visioned into what you're doing. Think about how you're creating pictures even if you have a hat on. Horse is abused by somebody with a hat, that they're gonna take that picture with, with them. I think you probably see this with other animals as well. Some generalize and don't like men or women or some animals only, only like children and don't like adults or, you know, that, think about that. Think about the way that they think and how that would make sense. It wouldn't make sense to us. That's not our thought process. Think about how, okay, that must be why my horse is reacting the way he, that he is. Don't get discouraged if your horse, like Fez, has had a, you know, a bad event, like I just mentioned. You can still work through it. You can still do desensitizing. However, you're going to have trouble, and it's never going to fully go away. Does that sound familiar to anyone with anxiety or PTSD or traumatic events? You're working with your therapist always to kind of go through the motions of dealing with it, uh, ways to control it, but it may never fully just disappear, okay? It's always with you. It's always a part of you, but it does not have to haunt you, right? I've noticed that a lot of what I do and talk about with the horses applies to life itself, a lot of talking about the relationship with a horse applies to the partnerships in my life. Um, you know, trust, communication, setting boundaries. Oh my God, you have to set boundaries with a 1,200 pound animal. Can't let them run you over because there's a nice fine line of having a confident horse that's going to over dominate you, small little you, 
versus a horse to trust you enough to be close to you. And you're constantly working through that balance. So you can have a horse that's ready to work, trust you in case of emergencies. You got to grab that horse. You got to x-ray that foot. You got to grab them out of the pasture, give them a wormer, give them a shot. And the horse will behave and stand there and have ground, good ground manners. I saw this quote that says one of the best things you can teach a horse is to have good ground manners, be good, then no matter who it gets passed to, he won't hopefully get neglected because he won't have a, a reason to. That's, I know it's a terrible quote, but this is life, guys. You know, part of the reason I, I can't sell horses. I'm not against selling horses. I just, I connect too much to them. They're my babies, and then I don't know where they are going to end up unless I personally pick them out a home or someone to lease them that I know and trust and you know won't just go sell them to to some random person and have them get passed along um, that's okay if that if you do teach your horse groundwork though <laughs> so that he ends up in good care and good hands so and it's just like the kind of person I want to be I want to be a good worker I want to be trusted and as you know, we go through this process with our horses. There's a lot of, re I heard horses are your mirror. Yeah, there's a lot of reflection there too. Um, as far as how you want your horse to be and how you want to be and how you want your partnership to be and how you want your partnerships to be in real life. And, you know, asking for your needs, but also giving, you know, what's your half of the deal? Are you doing that? If you're not doing it. What do you need to change in order to do that? You can't keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. That's the definition of insanity, right? Okay, we're getting really deep here. This is good. <laughs> so if you guys, this was the week away from the interviews. We'll get back into it next week. And I want to start incorporating this stuff. So if you guys like it, let me know. And ask me what else we can cover. But today was you know, the relationship and thinking in pictures. I would love to keep building on that so I can just paint you a picture of horsemanship based off of empirical academic research. And I would like to paint that picture for you with words. If you're, a, if you're a reader, you can go to my blog and you can find the research in there and go look it up yourself. But, you know, I listen to podcasts while I'm driving or while I'm working if I have a mindless activity to do because my day's really busy. It's really hard for me to sit down and, and just read and it's hard for me to focus. And then if you're a person who likes doing, doing the horsemanship yourself, seeing the horse behave that way and then understanding that's cool too. Let's, that's what we'll make some videos for and just come out to the farm. Um, but yeah, I'm just here to help paint you guys a picture of the things I've discovered deep into the libraries of research and apply it to situations so that I, you can, I can help you learn how to read your horse as well. So with that being said, I hope this goes well. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, take care and we'll see you next week.